We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 8 and this particular text that Kendall spoke to, I'm sorry, Charles spoke to you about, never preached on this uh, before. It's a unique miracle, only occurs in Mark, and it's an odd miracle. It's the only miracle Jesus does in stages. Can you see yet? As if he doesn't know. Can you see yet? As if his power somehow has failed. But he has a purpose in this progressive miracle. Very important miracle. Well, in verse, um, show you why he does this. The key to this miracle is in verse 18. Actually, go back to verse 17. Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? And he said, boys, you're worried about not having food. When I fed the 5,000, when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets do you have left over? 12, 70, or 7? You had 19 baskets of food leftovers that you couldn't eat. So, fellas, can I take care of you? Yes, I can. My concern is, in verse 15, not the amount of physical bread you don't have. It is the amount of spiritual leaven that you might have. Your life will not be destroyed by the presence or lack of food but your life will be destroyed by sin that gets started in you, kept secret, kept in the dark, and takes over your life and ruins you. It's going to remove you from the position I've trained you for. And so they're discussing food. He says, don't you yet see? Don't you understand me, what I can do? Having looked at me now for almost three years, have you not figured out who I am? Well, you go down to verse 21. Do you not yet understand? 18. Do you not yet see? 17. Do you not yet see? Our seeing and our understanding of Christ is progressive. Have y'all figured that out yet? Just because you get converted and look at him, you are not immediately mature, ready for ministry. It is a progressive understanding of Christ that is tested in life where there are needs and you have to learn to trust him. That grows. Paul to the Corinthians, when I came to you, brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh as to babes in Christ, you were not yet able to receive it, so I gave you milk to drink. Well, the context of verse 21, do you not yet understand? The context of that is trial. You've been looking at me, you've been listening at me. Now you're in a trial. You need food. Is that ever a trial? for us. Just day-to-day -day bills. Now, 
Why are you so concerned? Can you still not see who I am? That I can blink and you have more food than you or the multitude can even eat. Have you figured out I can take care of you? Let me ask you, in your Christian sojourn, in your Christian life, have y'all come to grips with this yet? That it is a progressive understanding of this man that you trusted as Savior way back when that he can take care of you. It takes time to figure this out. And so like this man, he's going to do a miracle in verse 22. The man that he does the miracle on is the depiction of the disciples. There's a parallel between the symbol and the reality. Do you not yet see? Bring me the blind man. And what he's going to do is the blind man's going to get touched. And on the first look, he's going to see men like trees walking. It's going to be fuzzy. When Christ touched you, were you ready right then to begin reading the book of Hebrews in the original Greek? No. I remember as a young believer, I had a class at North Texas State University in a New Testament survey taught by Dr. Russell Ware, and I was sitting next to a guy that was a navigator. His name was Jim Norris. He was far more mature than me. I had been a Christian for months, and I had been reading the book of Hebrews. And I got to Hebrews chapter 7 about Melchizedek that I could barely pronounce. And I was reading Melchizedek, and I gave up my reading right there on Hebrews. And Jim Norris said to me, he was in there talking with Dr. Russell Ware about one of the most fascinating of all books was the book of Hebrews. And I said, oh yeah, Hebrews. I, I remember just quit reading on that. And he said, how come? I said, to me, it was like it was only written to the Hebrews. And he turned and he said, who do you think Corinthians was written to? The Corinthians. And who do you think that Romans was written to? The Romans. It was like, he just slapped me real good. And so when, when you get saved, it's kind of fuzzy starting out. I see men like trees walking. You can't distinguish between nature and humans. It takes a little while. And then he's going to touch him again. It's the only miracle that happens like this. We're going to progress this miracle. We're going to take it on to its end. He touches him again. And this time, it doesn't say that he looked, blepo. It says he looked, dia, blepo. He looked thoroughly. He looked into him. He looked and would not look away. And he took away his hands. Now do you see? And he sees all things clearly. The clearer we see Jesus, the clearer we're going to see life. That's the point of the text. And that clarity is a process. Did everybody get that? It's a process. It's a journey. It is called spiritual growth. 
that you come to understand this Savior deeper and deeper and deeper. And its clarity is tested in the harshness of day-to-day living. Paychecks, health, life and death, struggle. Where are we? It's me. It's me. You know, there was a couple in our church for years and years. A lot of you may have remembered them. They passed away. Uh, Ted McQuinney and his wife, Helen. And they both died at 190. They were old saints. And uh, I have a friend whose mother was the sister of Helen McQuinney. And he said, I used to come up and take them over to Luby's. Does anybody remember Luby's? That fed the old people for years and years. And he said, I would take them over to Luby's. And they were both in their 90s. And I would say to them, how are you doing? And they would say, we're just both ready to go see Jesus. We're both ready to go see. And they would talk about their loved ones. They would talk about their friends. They would talk about the great teachers. They would talk about the majesty of the Savior. We're just ready to go see Jesus. And one day, he said, I just asked him, you know, I hear you talking about Jesus so much. And he didn't know a delicate way to say it, but he said, what are you doing down here on earth if you're ready to go see Jesus? And he said, Ted McQuinney pulled out this notebook. And in that notebook, there was on each page grandchildren that he was praying for. On each page, there was people in our church, me included. On each page, there was the guy that was asking him the question. There he was. He said, our purpose here is to pray because once we get to heaven, prayer is over. You're face to face. This is the last thing we can do is pray. Would you say to me that that's a man who saw all things clearly? I'll assure you he didn't feel that way when he was a young believer. It progressed, and so is your knowledge of Christ in the crucible of life that you are going to get where you are deeper and deeper and deeper in your total reliance upon him. Well, that's what this text is about, that seeing develops slowly as you continue to look at Christ and showers of blessing come down. Yes. Watch verse 22. All of that being said, a sign is now given for their benefit. He says, let me illustrate. This is a miracle that is not done for the blind guy. It's done for the seeing guys that I want you to understand something. In verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a condemned village. Did you know that? Earlier in the text, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. It was a fishing village. Bethsaida means the village of fishing. It's where Peter was from. It's where Andrew is from. It's where Philip the disciple is from. Three men had been fished out 
That's why when Jesus said to them, I'll make you fishers of men, they understood what that meant. They lived in the village of fishing, the house of fishing, Beth Seda. I'm going to make you a fisher. And so here comes a man from a village that had been condemned because the village had rejected the person of Jesus. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Up until now, no blind man has been healed in the gospel of Mark. There have been, we know, in John and other gospels. But this miracle is unique to Mark. We haven't seen a blind man. And so, in verse 22, he is fished out. When you go fishing, you bring fish from the dark up into the new world of light. And so this blind man is brought to him. He is brought to, in verse 22, to Jesus. In him is life, and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is the way we all were. We were taken out of the house of fishing. He caught us, and we were taken out of where we were, and it was a pond of darkness. Maybe it was Debbie, Louisville, maybe it was Waco, maybe it was Austin. Somewhere God took you out of darkness. Maybe it was drugs, maybe it was perversion, maybe it was intellectual atheism, maybe it was, you name it, maybe it was out of Hinduism, maybe it was out of any ism or asm. God took you out of the dark and he brought you to Christ. Peter said in the book of Acts, be saved out of this perverse and adulterous generation. Said to the Jews of his day, get up and run and get out of here. Well, in verse 23, and taking the blind man by the hand, meaning I know who you are. If you're coming to me for help, I know who you are and I will take you by the hand. You know, I could bore you more than normal with my story of how I can go back way into my teens and I can start seeing the activity of God taking me by the hand and bringing me to the place that I was away from everybody else and there was only him to look to. I could tell you the story. And that's what he does. Could you tell me your story? I bet you could. On how God took you by the hand and brought you face to face with him. And so he takes him out of the village. Because the fact is, if you're going to come to the light, you have to leave the darkness. You have got to leave the place that has rejected him you have got to walk away from the place that has scorned him. The book of Hebrews, uh, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. That was written to Jewish Christians. Let us go to him outside the camp. Have y'all ever seen what happens to a Jewish convert about how his face, his family quite often will take his picture and turn it downwards. They will turn it to the wall. They will officially bury him. You are a Canaanite. 
Matter of fact, I taught this text in Hebrews one time, let us go to him outside the camp. I had a Jewish doctor from Hot Springs, Arkansas, a converted Jew, and he came up to me and just took my hand and looked at me and tried to talk and couldn't and cried. Let us go to him outside the camp bearing his shame. For here we don't have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. And he just held my hand and he cried. And I asked his son-in-law, whose name was Lamar Trishman, what was he saying? He said his family turned his picture to the ground and has never talked to him since. He knows what that meant. And so he is brought to Christ. And in verse 23, Christ communicates in his darkness. He spit on his eyes. Don't try this at home. Christ does this. He spit on his eyes and he laid his hands on them. Your spit was felt by the Jews to be your life. Uh, you ever heard the term a dead ringer, that he's the man's spitting image? It's not S-P-I-T-T-I-N, spitting image. It's his spit and image. Okay, and so he lets him know my life to your life. In him is life, and his life is the light of men. Matter of fact, one of the things that Messiah was going to do in Isaiah 35 is that he would teach the blind to see. I'm going to give spiritual enlightenment to you. And so what follows is unique. He laid his hands and he said, do you see anything? Now that's weird. That never occurs anywhere else in the New Testament. That a miracle is done in stages. Why does Jesus say, do you see anything? Does he not know he's omniscient? Is he weak? I can only give you 2200, but I can't give you 2020. As a matter of fact, my Who's the person that checks your eye instead of ophthalmologist, an optometrist, an optician, an eye person? And whenever she tests me, she'll say, do you see anything? And I say, yes, Lord. I see ease like trees are walking or something like that. Now she'll say, do you see anything? Jesus is not being an optometrist right here. He, he knows what he's doing. Do you see anything? Because this, I meant for this not to be a finished miracle. It's for the benefit of the disciples. Boys, are y'all watching this? Do you not see? Did you hear me? Do you see? Hmm. Are you with me? I'm with you. And he says to him, he looked up. The word blepo means to look. And it's a simple word that just means he opened his eyes and he saw light. And he says, I see men. I see them like trees walking about. That tells you that he had had previous sight and that it has gone away. Because that's the way that you and I were. Did our first parents have sight? They did. Adam and Eve. They got darkened. You and I have memories of how things should be, but we can't, we see men like trees walking. Humans can't dis differentiate between nature and a human. 
Could I give a bunch of illustrations of the inhumanity of man? That he will treat nature better than he treats a newborn? Could I give you an illustration? Yeah. And so I see men, but I see them like trees walking. In verse 25, this enlightenment has got to progress. It's got to do so in him, and it's got to do so in us. Do you, verse 25, he laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked dia blepo. He did not take a casual glance. He puts his eyes on Jesus, blepo, but he puts them dia blepo. He looks through and through, dia, the preface for through, diameter. He puts them on Christ and he doesn't look away. He doesn't look at men. He doesn't look at nature. He looks at Christ and he says to him, he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. I had a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary named Louis Barbieri, and he said in his commentary on Mark about this text, perhaps the best explanation for the two stages of the, of the miracle is that Jesus was trying to show the disciples that their faith, like this man's sight, was becoming clearer as they walked with him. Is that true? It gets clearer as you walk with him. They had just come from a ride across the sea during which he warned them and asked them if they were still without understanding. Do you not yet see? Their knowledge of the person of Christ was becoming clearer all the time as was this man's sight. The longer and the more you look at Jesus, the more and more clearly you see all things. But you can't just look at salvation. You have to keep looking. I don't know how many times I have heard people come to me and complain about the churches they came from, that they preached the gospel and I got saved. And then after that, I heard nothing else but the same message over and over. Can that ever happen? But I wasn't being deepened in the knowledge of God to see clearly the person of Jesus. And so, let me just show you something. Go to your right to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a book written to the Corinthians, a bunch of Greeks that prided themselves on their self-knowledge. And in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, Paul said in verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, apostles, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord, ourselves merely as your bondservants for Christ's sake. And here is why. Because your conversion was not simply because you looked at us. No, he says in verse 6, for God who said, 
Light shall shine out of darkness. That's Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. The same God that said, let there be light. He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And do you see in the last clause where the glory of God is located? In the face of Jesus. He is saying that just as God said, let there be light in Genesis, now through his word, Christ, he that in verse 4 is the very image of God. When we look at Jesus, we blepo and light shines out of the dark. Well, go back to your left one page in chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, we all, 3.18, with unveiled faces, Moses, after he had looked upon God and his face shone, he put a veil over it because the veil was fading. He says, we all with unveiled face because our glory is not fading. We behold, and it's in the imperfect we're continually beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Question, what is the mirror? What, has Paul said, is the image of God? Christ. We're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're looking at Jesus. And we are being transformed. Again, it's in the imperfect. As we look, there is a process going on where we are being transformed into the same image. Has anybody noticed that when you trusted Christ, you immediately became just like Jesus? Any liars among us? Okay. Not in the house of God, I trust. No, we are being transformed into the same image of Christ. You see the next clause? From glory to glory. It means from one stage of glory to the next stage of glory, to the next stage of glory. How long will this process go on for our entire life until we die and we look upon him? And so the miracle of God's giving us light is the same as him giving this blind man in Bethsaida light. He takes him out of a house of judgment. He touches him and he has light. Do you see everything yet? Not quite, not like it should be. Let me touch you again. Keep looking. I see all things clearly. And so in verse 18, from glory to glory, and where in the last clause does this ability to change come from? Just as from the Lord, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the person of God the Father are all different persons, but they are homoousia. They're of the same substance of deity. To look at Christ is to be in touch with the Holy Spirit of God because that is the glory of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, you put them together, God who said light will shine out of darkness is the one that is shown in our heart 
to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now we keep looking. And as we keep looking, the Spirit of God keeps changing us. When you go to your Bible, you go to Christ. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he spoke to them the things concerning him and all the scriptures. Do not think that I came to annul the law and the prophets. Not a jot or a tittle will be annulled until all is fulfilled. I came to fulfill them. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me. Moses wrote of me. In the beginning was the word. He is the very logos, the explanation of God. No one hath seen God at any time. The only begotten God in the bosom of the Father. He has revealed him. And so I look at Christ and slowly and surely he makes me like him. Now there's a way you have to do it. Go over to James chapter 1. Hebrews, James, the first of all Christian epistles. James, writing to the Jewish nation, the 12 tribes, as to what Christianity was and was not. And he said, let's see, it used to be in my Bible, hang on. Yeah, he says in verse 22, I read verse 21. Here's what Christian growth is. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, do y'all still have some things in your life that need to be changed? Don't look at me with that blank look. I want you to turn to the guy next to you and tell him the three worst things about your life right now. Just kidding. When you come to the Bible, you put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And then in 21, you receive in humility the word. And it's the word implanted. When you hear me preach, I teach you the word, but it's a word that has already been engrafted into you. And you're alive to it by the gospel. But in verse 22, prove yourselves to be doers of it, not merely hearers who delude themselves. When you look at the Bible, you're not finished. You've got to walk away from it. In verse 23, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, let me tell you what you look like. You're like a man. Let me stop right there. That is not the Greek word for a male, M-A-L-E. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That is not the Greek word for generic man, anthropos. It is the word andros for a male, a hairy-legged person who cannot cook, okay, and does not wash his hands, all right? He is like, if, you're don't, if you read your Bible and walk away, you're like a male who looks at his face of birth, your natural flesh in a mirror, the mirror being the Bible, where you see Christ. And in 24, once he has looked at himself, and that word look is a common word that means to glance. You just take a glance. It's like a little spit bath. And you go on. He says he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. There is no change whatsoever. Because he's not serious about that mirror. 
Husbands and wives, have y'all noticed the difference between how a man looks at a mirror and how a woman looks at a mirror? A man looks at a mirror just to see if he's legal. Will I be arrested? No. Steve, have you ever looked at a mirror and goes, Rosie, am I a spring? Because I think this is fall that I have on right here. No, I don't. Did you ever say, if I parted my hair here, would it... But I look like Mel Gibson just a little bit. No, no. But when a woman goes to a mirror, she's there for business. <laughs> she's checking everything. There has never been a case of a woman sitting in a car waiting on her husband. It's a fact. When it happens, it's the beginning of the tribulation. <laughs> because men just want to see if they're legal. That's all. Will I be arrested? No, I'm okay. I'm okay. But a woman is there for business. And so in verse 25, the one who looks intently, that's not the common word for look. It's the word used for uh, Peter and John when they came to the empty tomb. And they saw grave clothes rolled up with no body. And they went, I'll be darned. That's what the word is. Where you look at your Bible like this. And he looks at the perfect law. There's not one flaw. It's the law of liberty. It'll set you free from sin. And he abides by it. He changes what the mirror shows him. He will be blessed in what he does. And so that's how you look at Christ. So let's go back here to Mark chapter 8. And so once you begin to look, do y'all look? Every day. What part of the Bible do I need to read? It don't matter. In Leviticus is Christ and Numbers is Christ. Uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, unquote. That's what an angel told John. Just read. It's about Christ to come, Christ who came, Christ who's explained, Christ who's returning. There's your Bible. Just look at it. Well, he looked intently and was restored and began to see how many things clearly? What's it say? Everything. When you see Jesus, I was so amazed after I got converted. God, I always wanted truth. I understood who Jesus was. He was the key to the Bible. I understood the Bible. I understood now where I came from. Genesis. I understood where woman and family came from, Genesis. I understood where evil came from, Genesis. I saw where the solution would come from, the seed of woman that would crush the serpent's head. I saw where the nations came from, the Tower of Babel. I saw from the flood God would indeed judge the world and hadn't simply because he'd promised and put a rainbow. I looked at the story of Abraham and saw the covenant nation. I saw them fail. I saw the sun come and die. I saw now how in the mystery of God, 
salvation was granted through his death. I looked at Acts and saw it in the outermost parts of the earth. I read Romans through Jude and I saw the instructions, the game plan. I read Revelation, he's coming back. I closed it said, son, I now, I can see everything clearly. Didn't understand it fully, but I had to. Have I ever told y'all the story of uh, Jacob DeShazer? Amazing story. He was an American pilot, one of who, uh, well, he was a Doolittle Raider, and he got shot down, got put in a Japanese internment camp, prisoner of war. They put him in solitary, left him. And they thought they would appease him some by giving him a book. And they figured Americans are all Christians, so they threw him a Bible. Here, threw him a Bible. He said he would have been rejoicing to get a, you know, woman's home journal, anything to read. <laughs> and he got it, and it was a Bible. He was a Catholic guy that was taught not to read the Bible. And the Catholic's not supposed to. You let the priest read it. He got a Bible, didn't know what it was. He said, well, it's a book. I'll start at the beginning. The sun came up, he had light in his cell and silence, the ultimate quiet time. In the beginning, I'll be darned. There was a beginning. God created, well, I'll be. And he started reading. And he would read for 16 hours until the sun began to go down. And then he would go to sleep and hold it on his chest, praying they wouldn't take it away. The sun would come up and he would start reading. He didn't know it was a story. It was a story. The greatest story ever told. It was the meta-narrative. It was above what anybody else could know unless God told him. And he starts reading. And by the influence of the Spirit of God, he started understanding it. And he went through the flood. He went through the Tower of Babel. He went through Abraham. Go, Abraham. Sick him. He, here they come out of the, uh, Egypt. Here, there's the Israelites. Go, Israel. Oh, no, don't do that. He kept reading and he comes to the gospel. Jesus, that's who he is. Unbelievable. He's reading all of his 35 miracles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And he gets killed. Oh, no. He rises from the dead. Wow, incredible. He went away. And now here's Peter. Here's Paul. Here goes the gospel. Here's the epistles commenting on everything he's read. He turns it over to Revelation. Boy, I wonder how this thing's going to end. Ooh. And he led himself to faith. He read the entire Bible through in a week. In a week. 16 hours a day. Try it. And then he had some more time. Started back over. He read it again. And he discipled himself. He read it over again. And by the time he was finished, he was committed, if he ever got out, to go back and do mission work. And he did. He got out of prison when the Allies came through. And guess who became the first American missionary to post-World War II, Japan? Jacob DeShazer. Isn't that amazing? The Bible, the perfect law of liberty. And so, in verse 25, he sees everything clearly. And now in verse 26, he sent him to his home and said, don't go to the village you go back to your home, don't go to that village. Why? Because that village has rejected me. 
and you are not welcome there. And so you're going to have to come away intellectually from your culture. Is that true? When you send your kid to college, you be careful. Amen? The capital of our country, what we drew off of, was college and family. Both of them are essentially gone. And so when he goes away to college, uh, they're not even sure about gender. We're not sure about pronouns. We got transgender, odd gender, cisgender, Bruce gender. We got every kind of gender <laughs> that there is. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you know Jesus, you know the essence of life that nobody else can teach you. Colossians 2, 8, let no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells in a body. I can look at Jesus and see God. I can look at Jesus and see what a man should be. I can look at Jesus and see the, what a kid should be, what a teenager should be, what a young man should be, what a dying man should be, what a good son should be, what a good citizen should be. I can look at Jesus about praying, Bible, loving, every essential thing, where I came from, why I'm here, what's coming, Jesus will tell me. Amen? So don't let anybody fool you that they know more than you do. When my son, grandson, gets ready to go to Tiffin University, I'm going to sit down with him and say, TC, let's have a talk right here. Because the college I went to ain't the college you're going to. When I was in college, Dr. Tad Lott, one of the best teachers I ever had in physiology. Whenever I tell myself I'm not smart, I remind myself I made a B in physiology under Tad Lott. I know I'm a genius. And he used to say to us, He'd say, boys and girls, I can tell you how anything in the human body works. I can't tell you why anything works. For that, you're going to have to go to Sunday school. He understood. Whenever Jim McDonald would teach finance, Steve, he'd be teaching along about how to make money, and then he would step away periodically and go, incidentally, none of this makes a hill of beans as far as your life. Let's continue. And he would let them know, unless you can be a good husband and a good father and you can be honest and have integrity, it doesn't matter at all. You ever preach that, Steve? Yes. I mean, this is nice stuff to make a living, but it can't make you make a life. You're going to have to go to Sunday school. Harvard University used to have two books turned up on their shield, Old and New Testament. In the middle, the book was turned down. The mind of man was turned down. They've changed it. They turned it up. Man's got something to say about God. And God better pay attention. Really? No. There was a girl once in a college. And the teacher said, if you have a fundamental knowledge of God, a Bible thumper, I'm about to change that. She said, really? Yeah. She said, can I ask you a question? Certainly. Can you tell me why a rabbit poops pellets and why a deer poops cubes and why a cow poops a patty? 
I said, no, ma'am, I don't believe I can. And she said, you're going to tell me about God and you don't know crap. It doesn't go exactly like that, but that was the essence. And so in verse 30, don't go back to the village. High school kids, are y'all here? Well, if they were, don't repeat what you hear in church, okay? You have your head screwed on. Are y'all with me? You see why this miracle is unique? Do you not yet see in them? close with this. The beauty is not just theological, that you have to keep looking at Christ. How many of you had the testimony that you got saved at a young age, got your baptism, joined the church, and then you went and started living your life? Is that anybody's testimony? Yeah, did God put the brakes on you and say, no, I'm not Sunday buddy. I'm not activity number 37. I'm life. Okay. You can forsake everything else, don't you forsake me. And you had to learn that. All of us have to learn that. All of us. Timothy, continue in the things you've learned, become convinced of. You come back to it. You keep looking. And do you know what helped him learn that? A lack of food. That's what it takes sometimes. It's life to make God say to you, have I taken care of you? Do you think I can take care of you? That's why Israel would celebrate Passover. You remember when I did this? You think I've changed? I can take care of you. I can look after you. It's a good lesson for us. Father, as we celebrate communion, we pray that you would be reminding us of your sufficiency. We're in a day that's crazy. We're in a day where we have become the lone believers in God. Heck, we've become the lone historic Americans. And we didn't ask to be here, but we got put here. And so we need constant fellowship with you. And so for just a few moments, we'll contemplate on you and we'll remember what you did for us in Jesus' name.